This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Sports. From State Street and the First Midwest Bank Studio, this is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. WMVP Chicago. It's Under the Hood. Follow us on the gram at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. This is Chicago's home for sports, ESPN 1000. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights at 7 here on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. Every night at 8 o'clock, we are able to give you the best in the NFL draft and Bears conversation. We turn to Bobby Carpenter from ESPN, also 97.1 The Fan in Columbus. You always watch him on Get Up with his analysis on college football and football in general. And Bobby joins us here on ESPN 1000. Bobby, Jonathan Hood, thanks so much for your time. Good. Thanks for having me on, sir. It's my pleasure. How's everything with you and your family throughout all this? Oh, it's great. I mean, you know, my wife, that's what she really wanted to do is homeschool her three oldest kids from fourth, third, and kindergarten. So it's uh, it's been a challenge to say the least, but we're hunkered down here. Everybody's healthy and doing well. So, you know, there's worse things worse things in life, I guess, that could be going on. There's no question about that. Um, tell me the, the best player that you saw this past college football season. Ooh, best player in college football. I mean, you could go, whew. My goodness, I would, I would probably have to say the best player I saw in person, it's probably because I've seen him a lot, is Chase Young. As far as his ability, how dynamic he is, you know, his explosion, combine that with his size. Um, you know, I played with a number of really played with or against a number of great pass rushers, whether, you know, it's guys like DeMarcus Ware, played against Julius Peppers, you know, and, and he's got some of those attributes, the guy that's, you know, 6'5", 270 pounds, and you watch him get off the ball, you watch him be able to turn his hips, you watch his foot speed, and then also he's not quite as refined as Nick or Joey Bosa coming out, but he's pretty darn close, and he's got a full complement of tools, and Larry Johnson did a really good job with him at Ohio State, so you talk about just, you know, the best pure player, regardless of position, I'd probably have to go with him. In your state, more than likely, you're going to see a special guy in Joe Burrow. As a college football fan, I enjoyed watching the ride for LSU. What, which quarterback are you looking forward to seeing the most this season once they're drafted? Well, you know, it's going to be interesting. Burrow might be the only one that will play you know, right away. You look at Justin Herbert, depending on where he goes. If he goes to Sandy – or he goes to the Chargers, rather. You know, does he play right away? They've – Honestly, kind of said they're not bringing in Cam Newton, but you know, I don't. Be- I won't believe that until I see it. Um, I don't know how much you're going to see out of Tua this year. I think they're probably going to want to bring him along slowly. Uh, but I, I probably am the most anxious to see either Tua or Jordan Love, just based on the fact that Tua can he come all the way back? Can he still be as dynamic as he used to be and as explosive as he used to be? And then Love, it's just he's a guy that not a lot of people have witnessed and watched. And, you know, I watched him in his first half against LSU last year. I know everybody looks at his 2019 numbers, and, like, they're not as good. He threw some more interceptions. He started chasing late in the game. You know, he makes some bad decisions. But he has a ton of ability. He does a great job throwing on the run. I think he has, he's a quick processor, you know, as far as being able to see through reads. I think part of the problem this year was his whole team left. And so he was the guy who was left holding the bag, and I think was trying to press a little bit more than he did the year before. And so that's why maybe his numbers weren't as good, especially against some of the better teams. 
that he played, given that he's a smaller school guy. But you know, it's, I would say probably either those two guys. Bobby Carpenter with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. A guy that we're not getting enough conversation about, and I'm sure we will as we get closer to the draft, Bobby, is uh, is Jalen Hurts, either at Alabama or at Oklahoma. That guy, you could just see the leadership. You can hear it in his, in his press conferences where he's just focused on the next victory, the way he's able to scramble his arm. What does that look like on the next level for Hurts? You know, it's he's got a he has a pretty strong arm, um, and he's a great human being. Man, it's a great human being to be able to handle situations he's been put in. You know, being a starter, losing his job, then being called upon to go in and win a big game again late in his career. He transfers from Oklahoma. Everybody follows him. Like he, there's so much to love about the person and about the man, and that's that speaks volumes. You know, to him as parents, everything. You know, everybody that raised him. You see that. You know, and he has he has a good skill set. I don't know if I see the anticipatory throws that you want to see a quarterback make. He seems like he's just a little bit late when he throws the football. Some, and I think that's what bothered you know bothered him in Alabama, where Tua probably anticipated a little bit better, probably a little more accurate, a little more of a rhythmic thrower. But you know, he's a guy that you're going to want on your team, and that's what you see some of these college quarterbacks that maybe they don't necessarily have the most gifted arm talent in the world. But they're great to come in. Guys love them on their roster as a backup because they're always prepared. They're a team guy first. And when you put them in the game, you know what they are. You know the throws they can't make, but the throws they can, they're going to execute, and guys play their tail off for them because they're so likable and they work so hard. You know, you hear all the time uh, from analysts, and they talk about certain classes, and they'll look at this wide receiver class and say, oh, it's one of the best wide receiver classes I've ever seen. But then when you go up and down that list, Bobby, of – of Judy and Lamb from Oklahoma and Ruggs from Alabama, Higgins from Clemson, uh, Justin Jefferson from LSU. And, and I'm checking the list like, yep, I saw this guy play. I saw this guy and like through about 10 or 15 guys. I said, I've seen these players. You know what? This wide receiver class is good. That's not hyperbole, is it? You know, it's it's rated very highly. And it's, it's interesting. Though, like wide, wide, wide receivers, I feel like have, you know, a, a decently high bust rate of first-round draft picks. And as, as good as all these guys have been in college, I can't sit here and tell you who the guys are going to be that will ultimately be the best. You know, you look back a couple of years ago and you watch, you know, Laquan Treadwell and Josh Doxson and guys like that get drafted ahead of Michael Thomas, and then Michael Thomas ultimately becomes, you know, the best guy out of all of them. You know, and he's, I think, the sixth receiver off the board that year and the first one taken in the second round. And, and so – I think all those guys have the skills to be good. A lot of times it's system fit. Do they have the right quarterback that can help them as well? Do they can throw an accurate ball? I mean, do they have a stable offensive coaching staff? Um, is the offensive line good enough to protect? Like, there's so many elements to being a good wide receiver, especially when you're young and you're trying to learn the league because a lot of these guys have seen some press coverage in college. But you get to the next level, you're seeing cornerbacks who study this as their job. I mean, they're good. They know all your releases. And you've got to be strong, you've got to be explosive and very decisive off of the line. And that's why you see some guys struggle. But these guys are all incredibly talented. One, the one question that I had, like, and I watched Ruggs and Judy, I know those guys, you know, they've got, especially Ruggs has some great athleticism. And I was super high on T. Higgins this year. And then the one thing, I, I saw him play against Ohio State. And I, that did cause some concern for me because I watched Jeff Okuda play against him, and Jeff Okuda is going to be probably the number one quarter taken in, in the NFL draft. And he did a pretty good job against him for the most part. And that's not to say that you know Higgins isn't going to be good, 
but I like to watch, especially on the perimeter, because I think you can tell a lot when you see uh, you know elite corners go against elite wide receivers in college. And usually those guys, depending on you know, especially if it's you know, true man or they're, they're isolated out there, how they play, that's going to tell you a lot. I think about each of the players, and so that, that's just one little level of concern for me. He had a great year outside of that, but when he was faced with, you know, in my opinion, the best corner in the draft, he wasn't nearly as explosive as he was in the previous games. Bobby, you saw the Bears, they were able to acquire tight end Jimmy Graham, and Graham's been around for a long time. He just got back from the Packers, and I think one of the reasons why he came to the Bears is that Ryan Pace, the general manager, knew him from New Orleans and and decided that this was the spot. The tight end spot was just bereft of quality or catches or even blocking for that matter they were trying to put that together and Trubisky didn't have an outlet at tight end so I look at the draft and I saw Komet play for for Notre Dame um saw uh Hopkins from Purdue uh so at the tight end spot what do you think of Komet or what do you think of of Hopkins as a choice because the Bears have to do more than just Jimmy Graham because who knows what he has left you know, and they put some, they, they drafted some young tight ends over the last couple of years. I mean, it's not like these are old guys on their roster. It's just they haven't really had the production. They've had some injuries there. And, you know, some of those things have caused them to struggle with that position, which you have a young quarterback, and they, that's a position that you need to be good. And, you know, frankly, at like Notre Dame, I feel like all they do is produce good tight ends. I'm not sure exactly you know, what, what they do up there, but they seem to put together guys who, you know, are, are very efficient route runners. They may not necessarily be the overwhelming athletes, but they always seem to get open. They're very productive NFL careers, and they're really good blockers. And so like, I would lean that way if that's what I need in Chicago because I think one of the best things you can also do is you'll just need a guy. And Jimmy Graham, believe me, like, he's a trem- he's been a tremendous player. I don't know how much he has left, but he's never been you know, the, the highest quality blocker. And so if you, you're drafting a guy, you need to draft somebody that you know if you're going to have him on the field with Jimmy Graham. He can block as well. Because it's tough to have two guys that are liabilities on the end of the line when you want to try to run the football and try to help out your quarterback a little bit by putting them in good situations. The hottest topic, as you well know, Bobby, in Chicago is is with Mitch Trubisky at quarterback, and you saw the Bears were able to get Nick Foles via a trade, and it's it's uh, it's interesting because I always thought that competition's good for football. It doesn't mean that whoever you're going to bring in doesn't necessarily mean you're going to take that guy's spot, but I just think it's good to have competition, and so. When Trubisky is the is the guy, and you have Foles coming in, uh, what was your um, thought process on that? Because Foles can come in as a backup, and we know he can light it up and be able to do some things. How do you think that's all going to uh, materialize with Trubisky and Foles? You know, here's the thing: they know number one when you bring in a guy like that, and you have a young quarterback, you need to know that he can be a backup. And what it, like what does that mean, like? That just doesn't mean that you're the number two guy on the depth chart. It means that you're going to be there and help facilitate the offense, even when you're not playing, by helping the starter. And so you've watched Nick Foles do that throughout the course of his career, and that's been very impressive. And you know that he can do that and help Mitch Trubisky out and help his growth and development. And he has the relationship, you know, with Nagy. That's who was with Philadelphia when he first went there. So you know, he knows the offense. He understands what they're doing. But the bigger piece of it is is I think ultimately Nick Foles is probably the starter. And this Chicago Bears team has a really good defense. You know, when they score over 18 points, I mean, they tend to win games. They have one of the best defenses in the NFL despite, you know, an offense that was putrid at times last season. And so if you can just get them to 21 points, 24 points, you're going to win a lot of football games. 
and you've watched this story. I watched this story happen in Jacksonville where they rode Blake Bortles about a season too long, and you had this team that was right on the cusp of the AFC winning the AFC, and they're up on New England at halftime in the AFC Championship game, and they don't get it done. And then you try to ride it out another year, and then all of a sudden the team falls apart, and they've basically disassembled that entire team that was so good. And so they've got to find a way to take advantage of this. And I think the poll starts this year, maybe it starts next year. I don't know past this, but they've got to try to strike while they've got the defense and they have the young playmakers on offense. And I think Allen Robinson's a great player. They just got to find a way to get him the ball. You have to have a quarterback that can get in sync with him. And so maybe Foles starts this season and then Trubisky wins it back. I don't know. But I believe that Nick Foles is going to be the starting quarterback for the Bears this year. Lastly, Bobby, and I appreciate your time. When you're evaluating talent, what do you weigh more? Do you look at the coach and the school that the the player came from, or do you look at the player just as a talent? You know, you, you can get in trouble um, when you start trying to look at you know, big schools and where guys went, because you're going to find great players at small schools, great players at big schools. Um, and I guess I look back to like one of the Bill Parcells philosophies, and he, he takes some small school guys, but he's like, if you, if you draft really good college football players, from generally bigger programs. And that, believe me, like he, he's also found guys like you got DeMarcus Ware out of Troy, too. So it's not like he's taking all, only guys from you know, the Bamas and the USC's and, you know, Ohio State, Michigan, Florida, stuff like that. But he's like, if you draft really good players from big schools and you ask them to do the same things they did in college, you're most likely going to be able to have success with your draft picks. The problem is, is where you start projecting too much and you have to try to you ask guys to do something they've never really done. And then you're getting into a big projection. So, you know, I don't necessarily look at, you know, the size of the school or whatever, but if you find a guy who's been productive and he does it a certain way, if you can make that work with what you do on offense or defense, more often than not, that player is going to be successful. It's tough when you take them from doing one thing and then ask them to try to do another, especially when the competition goes up because you're not sure how they'll respond. Bobby, I'm glad you spent some time with us in Chicago. Looking forward to the draft. There's not many picks for the Bears, but because they did so much as far as trades and got a quarterback, and but there's still going to be some needs here, and we'll see if the season can turn around. It's um, been uphill climb since 12-4 and four, just a couple of years ago. Absolutely, and that's why you got to strike while the iron's hot, Mr. Hood. There's no question. Bobby, thank you so much. Jonathan, thanks for having me on. Bobby Carpenter uh, with us here on Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood right here on ESPN 1000. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Go! Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Follow us on the gram at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. We got Tales from the Hood coming up at uh, 8.30. The question we will ask, I'll tell you what it is now. What is your favorite card game? Give us a story of you winning or losing in a card game. We've got some interesting submissions. Also, Eric, of course, Eric has lived a life like he's 80 years old. His life experiences on everything is amazing. Uh, he also has a st- story about a card game. The story is going to make me sound even older than I am, too, for sure. <laughs> so, 
I thought I had some life experiences, but Eric has has, um, got a lot of life experience when it comes to card games, so we'll get to that. Uh, That's our question we have on Facebook, facebook facebook.com. We've got some interesting submissions here for your favorite card game and the interesting story when it comes to cards. Uh, We have that for you because it's one of these shelter-in-place questions that we're asking because while we are sequestered, while we are in, uh, in our homes and not allowed to go out, you got to find things to do. And we talked about board games yesterday. I'm sure cards has been on, in the mix as well, um, you know, while you're trying to figure out what to do while you're at home. So never let it be said that ESPN is not uh, fan-friendly. You can't say that. You say whatever you want about this company. You can't say that ESPN is not fan-friendly. Because, finally, the fans got what they want when it comes to Michael Jordan and the ESPN documentary. But it all started with LeBron James. LeBron James recently talked about the James, the um, uh, Michael Jordan documentary, the Bulls documentary of the championships, and he wants to see it now. Listen, if I'm Michael Jordan, if I'm Michael Jordan, I'm going in there and I'm making a conference call, and I'm like, okay, what we, what's the reason we're going to hold on to it to June now? now compared to now where everybody is at home. Everybody. The whole done. world. That's a hundred thousand times. It's done. It's been done. It's done. done. LeBron James asked for it, and many of you asked for it as well, and now you're going to get it. So the Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance, was supposed to air in June, and now it's going to start on April 19th. This broke after we got off the air last night, by the way. The 10-part series will now begin April 19th. The move was announced on Good Morning America on Tuesday in response to fans um, asking for more programming while sports are on hold. So, of course, we know that the corona pandemic has halted sports leagues around the world, leaving a giant hole for fans. And ESPN made a statement saying that as a society, as it, uh, society navigates this time without live sports, viewers are still looking for the sports world to escape and enjoy collective experience. And so it goes on to talk about how they're going to move it up. And this is something that people have been whining and complaining about for a while. Like, hey, why do we have to wait until June? Why can't we see it now? Well, now you get it. Now you get it. I was willing to wait until June. But who knows when the league will return. And you don't want that documentary happening while the NBA is returning. If it does return, of course. Um, But April 19th, that will be an interesting, again, not just like um, a couple of hours. A 10-part docuseries on Jordan and the Bulls dynasty. That's going to be really interesting. I can't wait. The uh, I guess they have tons of footage that none of us have seen, like behind the scenes, in practices, in locker rooms, like with Jordan on his own. So it's a bunch of stuff that no one has seen that we can't wait for. Any uh, any stories on Jordan punching Will Perdue and, State, and uh, Steve Kerr? I wonder is that part of the docuseries as well. If it's 10 hours, I'm assuming that's a part of it, right? <laughs> Any, anything about Jordan uh, punching his teammates and then the entire team pushing Jordan back, trying to protect Jordan from the retaliation? Right. Is, is that <laughs> yeah. on there? I, mean, I, it, I bet it has to be because that's such a defining thing for how competitive and how crazy he was. Also be the first time to see Phil Jackson since the debacle with the Knicks. We'll be able to see him on camera talking about it. it that thing is deep. That's a... Hopefully they'll be able to scratch the surface on everything. 
right? I mean, similar to the O.J. Simpson docu-series and that uh, documentary where they were able to go all the way back from the beginning and tell the story and take their time. Hopefully this docu-series will tell all the stories because I've got a lot of Jordan and Bulls era books that were written. Sam Smith and others writing books about the Bulls. So I've got a ton of those in my uh, library in the Hood Cave. But uh, I look forward to seeing what this is. Now you're going to get it. Now we're going to get it in April. So... Uh, and pretty soon here, so that's going to be great. We had um, Stacy King on the program yesterday, the three-time NBA champion, front of the program, color amps for the Chicago Bulls. He's at home like all of us, just wondering whether or not sports will return. I asked him if he was the commissioner of the NBA, how would he go about uh, the restart of the NBA season? The way I think of how it's going to go, I think they're just going to you know, pick the guys, the teams who finished you know, in the top eight, I mean, it's not fair. You know, you had 17 games left. You know, how much of a difference would those 17 games make to teams? If it was going to be one of those things or a divisional title or first-round advantage, I mean, that that's going to be tough, and you feel bad for those teams. But at the same time, you know, you're pushing this season, no telling when they're going to start. Let's say, say you start in July. Mm-hmm. You know, then you turn around and do you push the regular season back and don't start till December you know, there's a whole bunch of things that they have to look at and, and try to come to an agreement on um, because it's not even guaranteed that you're going to even play in July. It's not even guaranteed you're going to play at all. You know, we this is a day-to-day situation here in the United States right now. And I think, honestly, as much as we all love sports, as much as we want to see sports and, and be part of sports, I, I think the, the main objective here is to get us to, to the point where we can be, you know, human again. That we can go out there and and not worry about getting sick and dying. And I think, in that, in my opinion, that's what I'm more concerned with. I, I mean, yeah, I want basketball back like anybody else. But at the end of the day, I just want to be able to be able to go outside with my family, be able to take walks, and not worry about, you know, getting an illness and and not possibly, you know, seeing, you know, my 53rd birthday. So you know what I'm saying. So prioritizing things. I think the most thing is just to make sure this is, this is taken care of first and then they can go from there. But ideally, you know, you're looking at July, they, they say, but I, I don't even know if that's the case. Stacy King with his thoughts on whether or not we get an NBA season under the hood with Jonathan hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Uh, we also talked about Zach Levine because Joe Cowley from the Sun-Times has really done a really good job of breaking down. He's got time, so he's breaking down each player and kind of talking about the organization. One of the pieces that Joe wrote recently was player breakdowns. Heck yeah, Bulls guard Zach Levine deserves better. And it, it kind of just dives into the numbers that Levine has put up and how Levine wants to win. And I've always maintained that Zach Levine is a, is a good player on a good team in which he would not be the number one guy. He'd be the third or fourth option because you need that outside shooting, the ability to go to the basket. I mean, the guy's a former slam dunk champion. He could do a lot of different things. And just on this Bulls team, it's like he stands out like a sore thumb and the others are just kind of standing around and they're not in place. And it's, it's chapter and verse of what I've talked about with Jim Boylan in the past and how, how some of these players are out of position. And of course, if they're not out of position and not available, and it's hard for you to win any games if your players are not available because of injuries, something that's plagued this team for a long time, going back to the Derrick Rose era. So I asked Stacy about Zach Levine and what he expects from Zach Levine moving forward and just him as a Chicago Bull. He's got a little dog in him, and mm-hmm. I think he's tired of losing. You know, because you're, you're, you know, in this league, they, you know, they value winning. And, you know, he hasn't won, he hasn't won anything. I mean, he hasn't been in a winning season since, 
you know, he came from UCLA uh, after his freshman year. But on the same token, you know what? I, I, I really love the kid because, you know, when you look at this kid, what he brings to the table, he had, a, he had an ACL injury a few years ago, and he bounced back remarkably. Uh, he's shown you that he's an all-star caliber player. He didn't make the all-star team this year. was disappointing. I was more disappointed that he didn't get an invite to the uh, U.S. national uh, team. I thought that was really a slight. I thought Kobe White not making the uh, rookie all-star team, uh, you know, the sophomore, uh, you know, sophomore game. I thought that was really bad. But Kobe's shown everybody, which he did at the second half of the season, that he's one of the top rookies in the league and one of the bright young stars. Uh, and the Bulls have him. So, but with Zach, the one thing you, you got to appreciate about Zach, he played every night. He competed every night, no matter what the situation was. Uh, he brought it every night. And, yeah, you know, there's some things, you know, can he get better at certain things? Yeah, he can get better defensively. Everybody can. I mean, James Harden got better defensively, and no one ever thought he could get better defensively. I think Zach is a willing defender. I think Zach is a great athlete that can play defense. And I think once he puts that together, you know, whether it's this year, you know, the remaining this season or next, um, if he puts both of those things together and the Bulls start winning, um, he's going to be on a lot of all-star teams. And, uh, and I think Lowry will, will, will bounce back from the season he had. I think it was, a, it was just a, you know, an aberration that he, he played the way he did this year. He had some ups and downs. But the talent is there. The skill level is there. Uh, the Bulls' core pieces, they're the young guys. I know fans are like, yeah, right, whatever. It doesn't show in the win record. But if you look at talent-wise, they, they have enough talent you know, five or six guys to build around. And I think that's the key for them right now is to understand, you know, when they go into the off season, you know, where can they get better? You know, where can we get better as a team? Who's on this roster? Who can contribute on this roster? And if they can do those kind of things, I'm telling you right now, uh, they, there's no reason why they shouldn't be in the playoffs. There's no reason whatsoever. Go into the archives of the Underhood podcast and you can hear my conversation with Stacey King always Great that when he has time to spend with us talking about the Bulls and the NBA and other stuff, Stacy's a riot and he's uh, very opinionated when it comes to this Bulls team and he should as a color analyst. So you can hear that entire episode, that whole conversation in the archives of the Under the Hood podcast. Look for it on the ESPN Chicago app. Tales from the Hood is next. This is your car. My car? I said a 10-second car, not a 10-minute car. Pop the hood. Pop the hood? Pop the hood. Tales from the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Here we go. It is time for Tales from the Hood right here on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. Jonathan Hood with you. Follow me on Instagram, IGJHood. Follow the station on Instagram at ESPN underscore Chicago. Also on Snapchat, SnapJHood. You follow me on Snapchat, and I will follow you back guaranteed. If you have Snapchat, you haven't followed me on SnapJHood, I will follow you right, right back. Try me. See what happens. Glad that you're in with us uh, here tonight. With you here weeknights at 7. We try to be the escape for you that you need. Because everything that's going on in our world with COVID-19 and the uh, uh, shelter-in-place that uh, we're dealing with, so that's why we talk about sports, entertainment, everything else in between. Even a little Tiger King as well, Eric. A little uh, Tiger King, because if you have not seen that, uh, check that out, because I'll be talking about this again either Wednesday or Thursday, because by that time I think I'll be finished with it. Crazy. 
crazy stuff. I can't believe you had me watching this. It's one um, of those things that, you, like you said, it's like looking at a train crash. Like you ha- <laughs> like you can't keep your eyes off it. It's just amazing. It is, it's wild. So we asked a question to you on Facebook, and if you'd like to jump in, we keep our lines open here because if I can be an escape for you for at least a few minutes, that's why I'm here every night. 312-332-ESPN is our phone number. The question I have for you is this. What is your favorite card game? Give us a story of you winning or losing in a card game. Where did it take place? We're doing this as hashtag shelter in place because while this is going on with COVID-19, I figured that uh, you might be playing some card games. I know that uh, I'm an expert in Uno, but when it comes to like the money playing games, the only ones I'm really good at, or at least decent at, I won't say good, but at least decent at, is Texas Hold'em. Which is really based on, if nothing else, Eric, Texas Hold'em is really about skill, then luck. A lot of this stuff's always luck, but it's got to be about skill and hearts. Yeah, absolutely. See, like, this is why I tend to like card games more than uh, like board games. Is because card games, for the most part, take strategy and stuff like that. A lot of the board games, whatever dice you roll, you move that many spots. So, like, that's why I tend to like card games a lot more is because it's a lot more involved have you ever played in one of those like a group of guys a long texas hold'em like tournament i have not see like in high school that was something that we did all the time and i would get there'd be like eight of us say and i would just get so impatient because it would take like five hours that three hours <laughs> in i'm just betting on sevens and i know oh, i have i have a five six let's go like i got impatient because it takes too long <laughs> uh just with friends like you know you quit when you want to quit or whatever whoever has the upper hand usually but no not not in those um those established tournaments that you see at the casinos all the time right they, they, um, they take forever yeah i just i guess i i would probably have patience for it maybe if i had, I had to check my schedule do i have right. to go you can clear out your night <laughs> yep. I, think, I think that's the thing so that's the question we're asking you, because are you playing cards during this time? And uh, if you have a story about cards, 312-332-ESPN is our phone number. I mentioned Uno. Have you played Uno before, by the way? I love Uno. Uno is pretty much every big family gathering we have. There's at least one Uno game going on at a time. There's Uno fights in my house. Yeah. Oh, I can totally believe it. <laughs> and there's so many different rules and everything. <laughs> I said, there's been Uno fights back in the day. It wasn't uh, wasn't very good. Um I'll ask you, then I will go to the phone line, 312-332-ESPN. Eric, what is uh, the memory that you have of your favorite card game? Um, so one game that my wife and I play all the time, and this is going to age me, is Gin Rummy. We play Gin sure. Rummy all the time, her and I just sitting around the couch playing on the coffee table. And both the last two Saturdays in a row now, we played Rummy, Gin Rummy up to 1,000 just to kill time. Both games took like three hours. Then one of them, like that's how we got through Tiger King one day, is we just watched all the episodes and played Gin Rummy up to a thousand for the whole time. <laughs> that's right. Thanks for <laughs> it was perfect. It killed the time. You know, you have an old soul that that's no what I'm one saying. really knows. It makes me sound like I'm I'm playing bingo at at the retirement home. <laughs> I know. I did that a couple of weeks ago too, by the way. I, the only time I play bingo is on vacation, like at cruises and stuff like that. They always have the bingo offerings. I'll tell you this as an aside. So on, my, on one of my rare off days, right, Peacock says um, with her, her sorority, she goes, well, we're doing this, going to a nursing home to play bingo with the seniors. This is like in uh, Tinley Park someplace. 
And I was like, okay. And she said, I need you to go with me because you got to carry the boxes for me. All the, the bingo cards <laughs> yeah. and like the, the cases of water for the seniors because they're like bust in or whatever for this tournament. And I'm just like, I'm just looking around. I'm just like, you know what? I'm only a few years away from this. A few, <laughs> a few right. years away. They take their bingo seriously too. Yes, so like, do. do not mess with them. And you better speak up loudly. They, they <laughs> want, it's like, an old, you know, 41 or whatever. Huh? And they're like, what? Say it again. What? Speak up, honey. Speak up, honey. <laughs> Speak up, honey. And, and you're like, oh, oh, 41. Could someone just tell me what she says? Right. I don't know what she's saying back there. Just like, oh, just like, yeah, they, they are really serious about their bingo, pal. Let me tell you that right now. So I, <laughs> so I'm, just, I'm just observing all this like, oh, my God, this is going to be me like in a year or two. <laughs> yeah. I just keep going this way. All right, 312-332-ESPN is our phone number. I'll read some of the things on the Facebook wall as well. What is your favorite card game? If you're listening you play cards, it's time for you to call. Uh, Kevin in Algonquin is on ESPN 1000 with Jonathan Hood. Hey, Kev. Hey, what's up, Jay Hood? Long-time listener, first-time caller. I appreciate what you do, Jay Hood. Thank you, sir. Um, so growing up with my family, when we had family parties, you know, we, we kind of started the regular card games, Uno, you know, Speed, Go Fish and whatnot, and... It was too slow paced for us. We wanted something more fast paced. So we created a game, uh, patent pending, dodge cards. Uh-huh. Where we would we would divide teams, have to, uh, one team on one side, the other team on the other side. And the way you, it's the way you flick the card and you try to hit the other person. If the other person catches it, then they're out and you sit down. If you catch a card, you know, when you sit down, the other person's out. So very similar rules to dodge by. We've had, you know, games where, my cousin's nose started bleeding, and people got cuts around the eyes. So it can get quite uh, quite deadly, you know. <laughs> Wait just a second. This is not supposed to be a a physical sport playing cards. <laughs> Wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> next level, Jayhood. Next level. <laughs> There's gonna be cuts and abrasions and bruises on people's face. What are you all doing <laughs> yeah. over there, man? Man, you, t- you got to tell me, there's got to be alcohol involved with this, right? It's got to be. Uh, sometimes. Sometimes do work. It gets a little more fun when alcohol is involved. But, you know, when we're younger, we just didn't care. We tried to be creative as much as possible. All kinds of games we created. But that was our <laughs> our favorite, we would say. I love Dutch Dodge cars. All right, Dodge man. Cars, yep. Thanks so much for joining us. Kevin and Algonquin with his Dodge cards. That's tremendous. And uh, he leaves the line open, 312. 312- 332 ESP is our phone number. Um, John says he's played a game called Aggravation. It's played with two decks and jokers. What about that? Does that work, Eric? I am not familiar with Aggravation. See, people are making this stuff up as they go, like Kevin and El Conklin. (laughs) That's also the one thing you can do with card games, is you can make them up if you want, as long as you set, set some boundaries and some rules. Tim Lindquist says strip poker with five hot girls. By the way, they all lost. That reminds me of junior year of high school. <laughs> I don't think there's a loser in that, though. No. I, I think everyone wins, no matter how you end up. Well, it could it could be the person that is initiating the strip poker, and it might be shrinkage. I mean, you deal with it. It's, it was cold in the basement in junior year in high school. I mean, you just use that and run with it. Yeah. Use the temperature. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's, that's fair. I mean, that's not a problem for yours truly, of course, because, you know, 
Tiger he King was over there, yeah. Yes, because it was warm in the building. That's right. Why. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. because <laughs> we were playing in the sauna. <laughs> That's the only reason. Um, <laughs> Tom says, Rummy 500 taught my uh, 17 to 15-year-old kids, and after some initial success on my part, they have, as of last night, beat me 17 consecutive times. Oof, my, that's my 15, rough. My 15-year-old daughter now plays online, and my 17-year-old son wants to go to Vegas and compete for the world championships. I had no idea there were world championships. <laughs> for Rummy 500. Ah, that's funny. I am. I can't am, like imagine the pros would probably just clean house so quick on something like that. Yeah. That's got to be interesting. Yeah. Um. Courtney, my buddy from St. Louis, says, Nothing beats a game of Uno. When I was 10 and I guess his sister was 14, um, my sister and I got into a fight because I beat her 17 straight hands. The trash talking probably had more to do with the fight than her losing. I mean, when you beat someone 17 times, you've got to talk trash. After a while, it's just that, that just gets monotonous. <laughs> now you just want to start swinging on people. Yep. 17 straight hands. Like how many how many times do I get to draw four every time? Oh my gosh! Do you guys play where like if someone put a draw two down, you can put another draw two down, and then the next person would have to draw four? Yes. You stack them. Yeah, that's always that. fun. All of a sudden, you yeah. got like draw eight, and you're losing your mind. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yep. exactly. Why does Brian Watercott from our sales staff put on here a gif of dominoes? I, he can't read good. I don't know. <laughs> Not a card game, my man. No. Watercott. I will say I don't know how to play dominoes. Oh, I'll have to show you. Yeah, I'm, I'm down for a game. I just don't know how. Me and uh, me and Ice Cube will show you how to play dominoes. Done. That sounds like a party. <laughs> we'll, 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 after when the big three comes in, I'll we'll come all together and I'll show you where where how to play that. Um, since he did that in the game Fridays, um, or the the movie Friday. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, Rick Camp. Hmm. Rick Camp. That that name sounds familiar. Yep. Yep. I know that guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rick Camp. <laughs> Rick Camp, talk show host in Chicago. Rick Camp says, Pinochle. Ah, uh, okay. Played three-hand, three-handed with my mom and grandma. I uh, had a 200-plus point comeback to avoid making the dinner run. Uh, <laughs> those are good steaks. Loser, <laughs> loser, go get the burgers. <laughs> That's fun. We're talking about uh, your favorite card game, especially during this time. Are you playing cards while you're uh, in place at home, three one two three three two ESPN is our phone number. There he is, Dave in Bolingbrook with Jonathan Hood on ESPN one thousand. Hello, Dave. Hi, Jonathan. Hope hope you and your family doing well. Absolutely. Same to you and yours. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, I, I was telling Eric, uh, I finally my boys were younger. I finally got a boys' night out. I, I probably waited two months to get my first ever uh, Texas Hold'em tournament. Mm-hmm. I was out in one hand, two oh. pair. Beat by a flush. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I was done in about five, probably three minutes flat. <laughs> there had to be drinks to at least uh, to drown your sorrows, right? Oh, I went right to the bar. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, are you going to try it again or no? Will you ever do that again? I've tried it again. I, I've, I've done better, but I've never really won a big tournament. <laughs> yeah, that's something, man. Well, Dave, as always, I appreciate the call. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. Take care. David Bolingbrook checking in. <laughs> His first time in and out, right to the bar. I don't think I'd play again. I'm like, well, <laughs> on that note, I'm out. <laughs> That's good stuff. Hope that hopefully you're uh, uh, pull. You know what? After the show, ten o'clock, 
They're gonna pull out the uh, pull out the cards. There you go. Shuffle them up. Is this weird? I love shuffling cards. That doesn't surprise me. Like the shuffle, and then you get the nice bridge after. I don't know why. I enjoy <laughs> that because because I think somewhere down the line in your family, somebody was was dealing cards. You know, at one of these uh, shady places, oh, yeah. uh, the basement someplace. And, <laughs> you know, that doesn't surprise me. That's right. That's probably inherited. You got that from somewhere. <laughs> I just remember as a kid trying so hard to learn how to do the bridge. Are you cheating too, Eric? Do you take a card and put it underneath the seat? I do not. I don't think I'm sly enough to do that. If I tried, I'd like get up and the card would fall down or something like that. Your wife would knock you in the head. Yeah, she, she she's on me, though. She knows me just like that. Like, you're questioning me. Like, she she absolutely is on me for those types of things. No she's, doubt. I think she's the type that's like, okay, if you're going to cheat me, I'm going to knock you upside yeah, she the doesn't, head. Yeah, she doesn't take it from me. No <laughs> doubt. That is Tales from the Hood right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Coming up uh, at 9, we'll talk some baseball, Cubs and White Sox. And you say, oh, Hood, there's no baseball. No, but there are baseball issues that we need to address and – who knows when the season will start, but we still got to talk about both teams in town. Uh, and also, there's some things going on in the, as far as the Major League Baseball draft. Some things are just not right. We're going to address that with uh, our guy, Dave Schoenfield from ESPN, coming up at 9 o'clock right here on UTH. Anywhere. 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 Download in the App Store today. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Last night's show, we were talking about Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL, and how mighty and powerful he is moving forward with the draft, even though there won't be fans there. He wants to have his draft and wants to have something live for us to watch. And the other thing I talked about with Roger Goodell is in the past, especially with this new CBA that's on the table that was pushed through by the players and the owners, is that Roger Goodell always wanted to have uh, another set of uh, playoff games and a 17 game season. And as Adam Schefter reports, 14 teams to qualify for playoffs beginning with the 2020 season, one additional wildcard team added in each conference, CBS, NBC to broadcast additional wildcard game. NFL clubs voted today to expand the postseason by two teams beginning with the 2020 season and moves on and talk about AFC and NFC wildcard games will feature two, the two seed hosting the seven seed and the three seed hosting the six seed and the four seed hosting the fifth seed. And I will just say once again, this whole conversation about CTE and player protection and all that, the owners and Roger Goodell couldn't care less about it because it comes down to money. Always comes down to money. When someone tells you it's never about the money, it's always about the money. It's it's the money for it's about the money for you. It's about the money for me and everyone else. That's the bottom line. The idea that the NFL cares about these players into as a whole and concerned about how much time they have on the field because it increases their chances of having CTE or a brain trauma. All they want is another set of games, more wild card games because we as fans enjoy it. And on top of that, a uh, 17-game season, and um, um, I guess based on some of the conversations I've had, a lot of the veterans did not want a 17th game. They wanted to go back to the table, but 20% of those that were voting amongst the Players Association did not vote. So this is what you get. This is what you get right here. You get more games uh, that a lot of the players did not want because that was a close vote, by the way, between um, the amount of games played and not, and some of the other things that's in that new CBA. But now the NFL has labor peace. 
Not only do they have labor peace for the next 10 plus years, they also have their extra wild card. They want it. They also have another week of NFL and the, and what's the other side of it? Oh, well now we don't have to watch four preseason games. It doesn't matter. Again, it increases the risk of even more brain trauma and more issues with players. But Hey, I'm on the wrong side of the argument and it's cool. I just don't want to hear the NFL talking about that as a talking point because it's, it doesn't matter to them. They just want to have the bottom dollar. They want to make sure that they're making even more money than what they're already making. We'll talk some baseball with David Schoenfield, his thoughts about the Cubs, Sox, everything else in Major League Baseball. That's next right here on UTH.